0: Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I have the joy of sharing a recent Firebird Book Award-winning author with you. He is E. A. Coe, and his winning book is titled The Other Side of Good. E. A. Coe is F. Coe Sherrod, a former United States Navy pilot and career business manager, retired and living in Edinburgh, Virginia. A graduate of Western Maryland College, now called McDaniel College, Kho flew carrier-based logistical support aircraft during the latter years of the Vietnam conflict, and airborne early warning aircraft, as a naval reservist until he retired as a commander in 1991. He was a senior executive in two entertainment companies, including Spirit Cruises and Hirschen Family Entertainment, manager of the Dollywood theme park. Married to Jean since 1971. Co has three children and six grandchildren, and we have so much to talk about today. So let's get rolling. Welcome to the network, Co. Uh,
1: Thank you, Pat. It's a joy to be here.
0: It's a joy to have you here, and congratulations on the book win.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're excited. We're excited about that. And in the last couple three weeks, we've gotten a couple other notices that it's been recognized in a couple other wars, so we're, we're hopeful for this one.
0: All right. Well, before we get going, I'm interested for you to tell us about your pen name.
1: <laughs> it's uh, it's sort of a whimsical take on uh, Edgar Allan Poe, so it's E.A. Coe, and in college, uh, when I was taking early American literature, a friend of mine, my roommate and I were writing sort of whimsical humorous parodies on on the subject matter of the course. And he became E.E. Instus as in E.E. E. Cummings, and I became E.A. Co., as in Edgar Allan Co. <laughs> and so uh, I've continued to use that for poetry. I write for the kids, and my kids actually refer to, to E.A. as a third person. So I've just kept it when I started doing some novels.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so fun that it that it stemmed from a long while ago, but it carries through, and your family enjoys it as well. That's kind of neat. Well, before we begin talking about your book, maybe just briefly share your road to becoming an author. Because as I read all of the different things you've done in your bio, nothing in there suggests writing. So tell us how that came about.
1: Well, a kind of a circuitous route, as many as many of us have taken in life. Um, I went to college to be an English major, ended up being an econ major, and then, uh, Vietnam was going on. I kind of interrupted plans for graduate schools, and, uh, and so my, my postgraduate was becoming a pilot. And, uh, I always wanted to get back to writing, but after I finished my active duty commitment, there was a company just starting up in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, an entrepreneur doing dinner cruise ships, and we ended up I was their first manager, and we ended up doing a whole bunch of cruise ships all over the country. And so my writing was limited to kind of doing some ad copy and, you know, occasional reports and evaluations on employees. Uh, that led to uh, to uh another wonderful experience out in Branson, Missouri, with the Hersh Family Entertainment Company. And, again, I got to write a little bit of ad copy and occasionally, you know, wet my whistle with the children's poetry and stuff. Uh When we came up to where we live now, Shenandoah Valley, uh, my wife and I had a just an idyllic, wonderful little cafe that we ran for about 15 years. And we just sold it a couple of years ago. And toward the end of that, I finally had time to kind of go back and start writing again for fun. And uh did the first novel just to kind of see if I could do it. And I did. And uh it kind of, you know... It, didn't make any money and got some recognition but I enjoyed it I just loved the process so you know two novels later I've I' kept growing it and you know it's a tough industry as you know but uh you know at this point in life I'm not necessarily I don't need it to put put food on the table and I enjoy the process and the challenges of of improvement
0: that's a real special place to be where you're feeling that your writing is just the creative you coming out, just some kind of a natural, organic journey of your life and not feeling like, oh my gosh, I need to, as you say, put food on the table. So that, that's that got to be extremely enjoyable as a way to write. And,
1: and relaxing. And, you know, the rewards are you can appreciate if a friend reads something that you wrote and they liked it and it makes them feel good and that makes you feel good. And if you get an occasional nice review on Amazon or like your award... I mean, that's really compelling. And so, you know, at this point in life, you're not you're not straddled with, oh, my gosh, i, I got to write something to get in this paper or I won't get paid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's relaxing. It kind of takes the pressure off of it.
0: Tell us a bit then about your book, The Other Side of Good. Give us a little peek into that.
1: Well, it's uh, way different than the first two books. Uh, I got the idea, actually, before I wrote the second book, and my wife just, couldn't get into it. And my wife is, we've been married for over 50 years. She's my best friend. And I can always tell she's a very gentle critic. But if her eyes don't light up and just, you know, she's overboard on it, that means it sucks. And so I, I put that one on the shelf and she, I had written the first chapter of something else that she liked a lot better. And so I finished that book, The Road Not Taken and went back to the other side of good. And uh, the epiphany was realizing that actually getting the trafficking angle in there. Uh, you think of drugs as being maybe the worst crime in the, in the world, and it certainly impacts a lot of folks, but the worst crime in the world is human trafficking. And it does exist not just in, you know, Middle Eastern countries and Africa and South America. It it exists in our country and it's way more prevalent than people believe. And on the, on the scale between bad and good, that's about as low as you can get. So that anchored human trafficking then became the anchor for bad and then this wonderful police officer who helps underprivileged children is kind of the anchor for good. But the fact is we all kind of live in that gray area in between. And so that's what the book is about. It's, uh, you know, it has, it's obviously exciting and it's a crime story and there's, you know, some nice characters in it. But the philosophical part is meant, uh, is meant for people to evaluate their own lives and say, wow, hmm, what I thought was bad is not quite so bad. And what I really thought was good, maybe it's not quite so good. And where am I on that scale? So, you know, I've had people complain and says, yeah, I don't know exactly where you're coming from. Where do you land on that? And I always tell them, said, well, I try not to land any place. I try to let you make up your own mind."
0: Exactly. You're not giving advice or giving answers. And I I read something, maybe maybe it was on your website, where you say, readers travel to the uncomfortable gray areas of life where the wrong thing sometimes seems a better choice than the right thing, where a little bad turns into almost good, and where dark white and light black become the same color.
1: That's a good line, and I wish I actually could have used it in the book. It, it, it works well on the back cover because that is sort of the philosophical uh dilemma through the entire book for readers as they read. There's this Theo who's the bad guy that, you know, doesn't take too many chapters into it, but there's some things about him that you actually like, and you find yourself not wanting to like him, but you can't help it because, hmm. And then, you know, the good guy, uh, Denton, is dealing with people inside the you know, the bureaucracy of Cincinnati, who are supposed to be good, but you find out they're not quite so good. And you want to like them, but you can't because you know that there's something bad. And and so there's a conflict that goes through. And I evaluated, you know, wherever people fall, if you set your, uh, if you're going down the expressway and the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, how many of us set our, you know, our automatic cruise control on 70? We usually put it on 74. Well, okay, that's not exactly good. You're violating the law. So, yeah, it's kind of a, just a little tiny dimension, and and you just keep pushing that. And at what point is, have you turned, oh, okay, now that's too much. And so, you know, I think we all have kind of a moral compass inside of us that sort of tries to direct us, but, you know, each of us and our moral compasses are a little bit different, and laws change, and perspective changes and people, you know, I, I try to use the kids in Cincinnati from, uh, from the poor areas that, uh, you know, they're, they're doing things that maybe they shouldn't be doing, but they're just trying to put food on the table and they're hungry. And so you have to give them, wait a minute, you have to take that in perspective. Are they really bad or are they, you know, are they in a situation that they have to, you know, they have to survive before they can think about right and wrong. So, you know, it's a, it's, difficult and uh I think we all kind of face that at some point in our lives and we can't none of us can look at that and say, Hmm, I walked that straight path the entire time. Here's where I am.
0: Yes, yes. As you're speaking, I'm wondering how we can apply your invitation to look at all sides within daily life.
1: I think we can. And I think I think my message is, you know, look at it with a with an open mind. Uh, as Theo points out, laws change. I mean, he's selling a product that uh, used to be illegal everywhere in the country, and now it's, it's legal in all but five states. And so was he ahead of his time when he was selling it when he shouldn't have? Or, you know, was the law kind of wrong? And, and of course, slavery in there, the book's two proponents are, are black guys. And, you know, slavery 160 years ago was perfectly legal in most of the country. And so was, was the law right then? No you know uh, it luckily it changed and so you know we have to we have to evaluate good and bad in the perspective of the climate that we're in and, and the situation that we're in and, and a lot of other things and it's not necessarily black and white so mm-hmm.
0: i love stories and books like yours because you do come away thinking it's not like wow i enjoyed that book put it down and move on
1: for me i mean i, I hope people think about that and i'm 72 so i I've been around for a long time. And I've seen a lot of things. But the book was written to be entertaining. And and on that level, I think, you know, it accomplishes that. But if it causes people to think just a little bit about, you know, walking in that criminal shoes, I mean, mm-hmm. what made him do that? And why is he that? And was he that bad? Or, you know, I, I love my personal, one of my personal favorites is a very minor character, but it's a Catholic priest in there named No doubt. And he's modeled after a minister that I had way back in Branson that, that really as a religious person had an open mind on all religions, you know, Catholicism and Buddhism and Muslims. And, you know, because he said there's a common thread that runs through all of it. When we can identify that common thread, it helps us identify the differences. And so you know, none of them are necessarily all right or wrong. All wrong, but I love people like that, and, and this, book, O'Dowd, is that kind of a person mm-hmm. who says, you know, I, I can't tell you exactly. I could, my faith tells me what's right, but I can't tell you what's wrong about other faiths, and so I keep studying it myself because I'm still trying to learn it. And I love people like that mm-hmm. that are willing to, you know, put away their even their own education to say, okay, I'm keeping an open mind. Let me tell me more about this.
0: Me, too. Me, too. I think that's why I enjoyed this and why I brought that up about the invitation to look at all sides of everything within daily life. I, I work really hard to try to do that. So I, that's one of the things I appreciated about your book. Now, you talked about um, your characters. You actually do bring characters back from previous works.
1: <laughs> I, I love that part of writing. Um, you know, I, I compare it to not to be sacrilegious, but when you're a writer. You know, that's the most control that you'll ever have in your life if you're writing fiction like I am, because you're God. Everything that you write in there, you are their person. You can make them do what you want them to do. You can make the girls marry the right guys. And you know, you can really control life, not like you can in real life. And so when I've created these characters, I don't do sequels. People have suggested I could do better if I did do sequels, but I love bringing characters that I've developed in other books back into the, into the current book. I already know them. I feel like, you know, I, I know where they started in their lives and, you know, put them in a slightly different situation. And, you know, I don't make it so that you had to read the other book to understand this one. But if you did read the other book, people are really excited to see Benson, who was a relief pitcher in full count, <laughs> kind of just a colorful off character in there. And now he's the hero in this book. And people who have read the other books love that. So I I kind of enjoy it, too. It's kind of fun.
0: I really enjoy that as well. I'm wondering, going back to the um, human trafficking, was was there a lot of research, I know this is fiction, but was there a lot of research involved in writing this book?
1: Oh, Pat, you can't even imagine. Once I got into that, I read three full books on human trafficking, and it's, it was gut-wrenching. Uh, not a pleasant experience. And if I put the detail that I've discovered in those non-fictional books, the book would not have been fun to read. It would have been better for, you know, making people understand the the horrors of trafficking, but it wouldn't have been a fun book. It would have been an entertaining book to read. So I steered away from that, but I, you know, it is, I mean, everybody probably, in my opinion, should probably read, uh, Patterson wrote, uh, co-wrote a book about the Epstein, about, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, four years before he ever went to jail. And, it's called, the uh, Filthy Rich. Uh, God, what a compelling read because it was all there. It was happening under our nose. And this is from public records. He wasn't making this stuff. It wasn't fictional. And I'm thinking, how could this happen? How could, how could enforcement understand what was going on in his house and offshore and all these things? And that's when I realized that, wow, this thing is way bigger than people realize. And so, yeah, it took a ton of research. And to get really, only touch the lightest edge of it in my own book, just because it's so gut wrenching. But, but you know, the research was, and I'll ever use that research again, at at the back of the book, I've uh, mentioned places where people can go to learn more about it and take action. And and do some things. But, you know, it's not something that's not something I know a lot about and not something that probably that I'll continue other than being a supporter of the of of the groups that, uh, you know, try to try to try to stop it.
0: It's a difficult thing to know about. And as you say, once you realize that this is going on right in front of you and all of the people that are implicated in it and, you know, how you might have reverge certain people or thought highly of them and then you find out w- what, what their lives are all about. It's, it's stunning. It really is.
1: It is stunning in, in, in the book. I mean, the ones that are most impacted, and I don't know if it's a, you know, if it can be backed by data, but uh, Theo makes the point that, uh, actually Tom Burns makes the point that it's a crime that, as large as it is, third largest in the world as far as what making money, um, under, under drugs and under arms, it, it's underreported because many of the people that are being trafficked, for instance, prostitutes, don't even know that they're being trafficked. They think that it's a uh, life choice, that it's the best they can do and it's how they can make money. They don't realize that they've been drugged and they, you know, if they tried to get out, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. They don't even know it. So that, that part of the statistic doesn't even get reported. Right. So it's a, it's a much bigger crime than, than even the t- statistics tell us. Wow.
0: Only through knowledge and education can we possibly make some changes with this.
1: Well, and sometimes I think entertainment, I love music, I love writing, I love art. And I think sometimes uh, when you bump into a crime, like human trafficking through entertainment, It does open your eyes and it makes you, you know, hey, let me rearrange some of my contributions or let me Mm. rearrange some of my charitable work because this, this looks like a, like something that we might be able to stop in our time and we should.
0: Yep. 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 Thank you. Thanks for talking about that. Let's move on to your cover. Let's talk about the cover art.
1: Well, that is Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, it the the cover was meant to you know, it's gray and it's black similar to the story. And it's uh you have the white part of Cincinnati up there onto the top and the dark part that's done. And so the book is you know, it's supposed to lead you into sort of what the what the philosophy in the book is about. Uh the art was done by uh this book is published by Kohler and uh they're designers there came up with with the design i like the fact that it actually used cincinnati i'm not from cincinnati (laughs) i have good friends in cincinnati uh i've worked in cincinnati when i was in the boat business and the only reason everybody said well why cincinnati because you don't have a history with cincinnati i had to do a heck of a lot of research uh on cincinnati because i didn't know much about it and uh it uh uh, it's because Denton Jones, who's the lead good guy in full count came, came from Cincinnati. So, you know, he was going to be the hero in this book. So, well, hmm, Well, I, I, I wrote that he lived in Cincinnati back, back in full count. I <laughs> guess I better go city Cincinnati. So
0: <laughs> you didn't want him to uh, relocate, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and can I tell you a cute little thing that, yeah.
0: mm, but in
1: people that only people that listen to your, podcast we'll find out okay I just and I've got permission so it's to me it's funny but it's another one of those things you can do uh, when you're a writer uh, way back in the book when uh, the young boy finds out that uh, that he's getting his last year of law school paid for uh, he gets a letter from uh, the law school at the University of Cincinnati and the president of of that law school is Alan Bernstein. Well, Alan Bernstein is not the president of any law school. Alan Bernstein and his wife, Mary, own B&B Riverboats in Cincinnati. Uh-huh. old friend of mine, he was the vice president of the Passion Festival Association when I was the president. He became the president after that. And he and his wife helped me with the research I needed to know about. You know, Cincinnati, Chili, and I needed to know about Skyline, and I needed to know about, you know, where's the, where's the FBI building located? And so he helped a little bit about that, and I said, well, Alan, I'm gonna put you in the book. You're gonna be the president of the law school. He just thought that was hilarious. So I left his name in. So anybody out there in Cincinnati that reads the book is gonna go, wait a minute, is that Alan Bernstein? <laughs>
0: I love that. It's just a little, little sneaky. What do they call them? Easter eggs, or some kind of a thing that you yeah, that you yeah. for
1: the few people that will know that it it will you know it'll it'll give them a laugh for the day. Oh
0: my gosh! Oh, I'm glad you mentioned Cincinnati chili, skyline chili. That's funny. Uh, was that part of your research? You had to taste it. Yeah, it, it,
1: it was. Uh, you know, I know enough about Cincinnati from visiting there when I was in the boat business to write, you know, about the town and beauty and the river and Covington across the way and all that. But, you know, when you write uh, about a city, a lot of people from that city are going to read the book. And if anything's wrong in it, if a street is wrong, all of a sudden it becomes not credible. And so, you know, to the extent that I can, I try to make everything actually, you know, the way it is if I use a real name.
0: That's funny. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you mentioned earlier at the very beginning about writing poetry, children's poetry. Let's just touch on some of your poetry.
1: Well, I enjoy it. Uh, it's always been a uh, kind of a little avocation, I, and I write poetry that rhymes, uh, which is a little more difficult than you know than than just free. Free flowing poetry and I've used it to commemorate kids events, you know, the first home run and the gymnastics meet and the first girlfriend and those kinds of things. And I've incorporated a little of it in, uh, you know, like, uh, the first, uh, my first book, Full Count had a nice poem in it, uh, called Rounding Third. Okay. My kids hated that poem. Because you can imagine I'm 72 years old and he, he, when you're rounding third, you're three quarters of the way done and you're heading for home. Right. And so they don't like to think about that, but oh. it's actually a happy poem and it, and it led into full count because the old coach is the guy that's sort of rounding third. And the whole story of the poem is, you know, yeah, I'm rounding third, but I, I still got a lot of stuff to do, and I'm running really slow because I don't, I, I just want the great game to last. And so it's sort of a happy poem; it's not a sad poem. And you know, so it, when I can, I kind of incorporate it in. It's not something I'm going to be famous as a, as a poet. And it's easy to understand. I call it you know poems only a mother can love because a lot of it relates to kids and family, and you know, it's on my website. I include it. Uh, it's the first time it's ever been published I finally put it all up on my website under the thing of poems and I I can't tell you how many how many mothers call me and say oh I just loved your poem about the you know about the grand slam I, my son just did that and he's like six years old so <laughs> people can relate
0: absolutely you're awesome oh my gosh so what's next what are you working on now
1: my wife and I are really excited about the next book and I can't I'm about two-thirds of the way through, uh, and I can't get back to it because this one is, you know, kind of the marketing and getting it out and getting people answering calls and stuff. It's it's kind of preoccupying our time for a while. But when we do get back to it, it's called Peddling West. as sort of the tentative title, and it's a COVID era. I finally addressed, I backdated all my books so I didn't have to deal with the COVID mask and all that. And so finally I said, well, you yeah, know, I better, might as well just, nip it in the bud and this one I'll write in the COVID area and so I'm, I'm dealing with what happened with the masking and the you know, uh, isolations and things like that but it's about a girl that loses her job and she loses her fiancé all in the same week down in Virginia and she decides to set her, reset her life by taking a cross-country bicycle trip starting at Virginia Beach going all the way across the country ending up in Mendocino California and so there's some excitement and there, you know, there's some bad guys, she knows something about her ex boss stealing COVID money and he she has information that she doesn't even know she has and so they're kinda of chasing her. So there's a little, you know, there's some excitement in that, but it's really a travelogue about you know, my wife <laughs> you know, we're seventy two, but she came to me in August and said, You know what? We gotta just take this trip. Exact same trip that this that Carrie's taken on her bicycle. I said, "You're kidding me! You want a bicycle? He said, no, I want to take a really nice car and stay in really nice hotel. But we won't get on the interstate. We'll take the exact same route. Right. And so we did that in November, and we had a blast. It was just so fun, and you get to see so much. And the story changed because, well, as an example, uh, in the book, the girl." ends up in Mendocino and in the book she's so excited that she just drives her bicycle right into the ocean you know that's the end of her trip Gina and I got to Mendocino and I looked at her and she looked at me and I said what do you think she said I think you're going to have to change this part of the story because if this girl drives into the into the ocean from the town she'll die it's 800 feet above the water line So, so we had to We had to find a little park that was two miles north to end the story there. But it's fun and, you know, I'm probably about two thirds of the way through 60,000 words into a 90,000 story. Wow.
0: Wow. Wow. Good thing you took that trip. You saved your character.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) did. Well. And we created a few other adventures sure. because we had our own adventures there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's some parts of Kentucky in the up there in the hills and the mountains that you don't want to get stuck in. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I love that. There's nothing better than a trip on the back roads like the old Route 66 and just uh, soaking in all of the history and the charm. And and what a great way to research for your book.
1: Well, it, it was fun and so compelling. And I've seen everywhere in the world, you know, from 10 and 12,000 feet because I was a pilot. But, and if you've never seen an actual redwood forest, if you haven't driven through one, you really don't understand what it's all about. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, we could have stopped on that road and stayed for two hours just looking at the trees. So, you know. Being up close and personal and and seeing, you know, the wheat fields and the corn fields and coal mining and uh, the windmills and all that, it was like, wow, what's going on? What a huge country we live in.
0: So true, and I'm so sure that that's really going to come out in your writing. That will be felt in your story so much differently than if you had not taken that trip. Your wife is a smart person.
1: (laughs) She is a smart person. She's a pretty good editor, too. (laughs)
0: That's good to have a partner in house like that—that that really cares. I mean, that truly isn't doing that because they have to. I mean, just so invested, just right along with you. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: That's the best thing in my life. I often say. I mean, Western Maryland. You mentioned it at the beginning of the of the podcast here. Uh, teeny tiny little school that changed their name uh, to McDaniel shortly after we left. I don't. I think it was coincidental that we left and they changed their name, but, but. Uh wonderful school. It's very well known as a as a good quality small college, but I tell everybody that that I that I know that the main thing that I got out of college was Jean.
0: Oh that's so touching and beautiful.
1: Oh. Well, it's uh it's lasted fifty some years now. So oh. yeah, well she says that we're year to year now that the contract's over, but <laughs> I I guess that'll keep me on my keep me on my good behavior.
0: You better you better watch yourself and behave, right? The year to year plan. I love that. Yeah. Your warranty ran out, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. It expired at fifty, she said. <laughs> You're funny. Well, on that beautiful note, let's uh, begin to wrap up. Anything we missed that you wanted to highlight today?
1: Uh no, I've enjoyed talking to you. I love talking about the book and writing in general. Uh and- I love how many of your writers are well, people like me that have come to this end of their life and are able to, you know, to take the time to, to share. Uh, we have some perspective that younger people sometimes don't, and we have time to share it that other people don't. So uh, you offer a, a tremendous, you know, place to be able to do that. And so I appreciate the service.
0: Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I appreciate that, especially coming from you. Well, now as we begin to wrap this up, give us all of your contact information, anywhere you want folks to go to learn more about you, where they can purchase your books. Just take us where we need to go.
1: Okay, well, the easiest one is um, I have a, a pretty nice little website uh, that's interactive. Uh, it's www ea code just like the name ea code dot online so it's pretty easy to remember and all of my contact information all the click you can click on and find the book on amazon uh you can find all the other books you can read the poetry if you want to um i have a i have a newsletter that i send out I'm happy for people to sign up for that i also do a blog that you know when i get to it that's sometimes humorous and it talks about writing and it talks about living but uh www.eaco.online and my email that I use for the author is E A Co V A, like E A Co Virginia, E A Co V A at Gmail. So that's the that's the easiest way.
0: Alrighty, great. So we're speaking with EA Co. The title of the book is The Other Side of Good. The website is EA Co. Co is spelled C O E E A co dot online what a pleasure to speak with you today this has just been such a fun conversation i really enjoyed myself looking forward to your finishing your next book so we can do this again
1: (laughs) i look forward to that too and thank you so much pat and i'm sure we'll be talking again